So this morning we are talking about freedom, which seems apropos, uh, hopefully not cheesy. But uh, last night, I, 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 in a bona fide way, I started out studying Esther and ended up on Galatians. So <laughs> uh, we try not to do a ton of topic. We try to make sure that we are rightly dividing the word of God and, and, and being thorough in our study. Uh, but I strongly felt that this was the direction for this morning for uh, whatever reason um, to be revealed by the Lord. So as we know, Esther, uh, we'll start there at least. Esther is written, was written to display, to show the providence of God throughout history and to illustrate it uh, in a specific time period to confirm, to affirm the covenant of God with his people and that it was still intact that it was not void that he being God was still going to be faithful to them as they turned and repented for their sins and to him even from amongst captivity and so we know Esther then is a part of the illustration a part of the lead up to the revealing or the the as God is revealing in the Old Testament and through history, the redemption story, and to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And so in Esther, we see one instant, one instance of, of God's redemption, of God's intervention for his people to uh, give them life, to preserve their life, to really, in a way, despite their captivity, despite the diaspora in which they've been spread out across the empire, to save them to set them free and ultimately we know that Jesus was that final word on the slavery to sin that he gave us that freedom by dying on the cross for us and raising rising again I think especially in recent days in our culture at least that freedom is a word that's bandied about and almost at least to me has almost become a dirty word I think we can add it to the list of words that we as believers in this day and time ought to seek to redeem and to take back from the redef redefinition that has come about. Today we'll talk a little bit about, I guess, what we could label as cultural, free cultural freedom and spiritual freedom. As we know in the theme of this week, 239 years ago, the Declaration of Independence was signed. What is interesting to me to parallel as we get into this uh, morning and into the scriptures that though it was signed on July 4th, it was written on July 2nd. That's not that significant. But if you think about the modes of transportation, you think about the day and age in which that declaration went out, it would have taken time for it to spread. It would have taken days, if not weeks, to spread about colonial America. If we're honest with our history as a people, we also know that not a lot of people, not everyone took it to heart, not everyone wanted to believe it, not everyone wanted to embrace it. They were in the middle of the Revolutionary War, and there were very much... Uh, people who were loyal to Britain, people who did not want to change, who did not see their state, their status as enslaved. They did not see the power of the day as a tyrannous rule. And so though the declaration went out, 
they failed, they refused to embrace it. 2,000 years ago, a declaration was nailed to a cross. Saying, I've paid the price. Jesus, King of the Jews, it is finished for all. We saw in Hebrews that that price, that instance of declaring our freedom was a one-time thing. It was done. It is finished. And that result, that, that benefit to us carries through from generation to generation for those who would believe. And yet many, millions if not billions, choose to ignore the fact that they sit under a rule of tyranny, that they remain enslaved by sin, enslaved by the enemy, deceived, content to live out their lives with a false idea of freedom. So what do we celebrate? Who is to tell them? We need to live in a way that declares the freedom that we've been granted in Christ. In such a way that others, others' eyes will be opened. That they'll see that there's so much more to life. So much more to their state of being than they are currently embracing. If we open up to Galatians 5, it's a well-known passage. We're going to read most of it here. It's Paul's letter to Galatia. It's a letter written to bring some order, bring in or refute uh, some ideas and some things that have come about uh, Christians, new believers wanting to impose the law of Moses on Gentile Christians. And so he says in verse f- in verse one of chapter five of Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that I, if you receive, if you accept, excuse me, Circumcision, circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's go down to verse 13. For you who were called, or excuse me, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's break that down a little bit. 
If we go back to the beginning, verse 1 of chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. See, when we receive Jesus Christ, when we proclaim him, profess him to be our Lord and Savior, when we invite him into our life and say, change us from the inside out, our disposition before the law, our disposition before the eyes of God, who is our judge, has changed. Our sin is washed away. Our past is no more. The sentence against us being death is vacated. And we are free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm in it. Don't return to the slavery with, from which you've come. But live for it. Live for that freedom that Christ has given us. Fight for that freedom that Christ has given us. And don't return to bondage. In the States, as you know, we have a saying, or there is a saying, that freedom isn't free. That realizing that... W- we very, in a real way, have had people, have had brothers and sisters lay down their lives for the price, for the political freedom we enjoy. Just so Christ laid down his life once for all for us. But when it says for us to stand firm, therefore, in the freedom that Christ has given us, What do we do? Do we just lay down? Do we just back off? Do we sit idly by when others would try to take that from us? And now I'm not speaking politically here now. Let me make that clear. But the enemy would try. The enemy does try to deceive us to re-enslave us, to discourage us so that we lose sight of that freedom that God has given us. And many of us, unfortunately, sit idly by and allow him to do that. But the call here in Galatians 5 is to stand firm, is to not be re-enslaved. And I would add to it, to fight, to stand, to to employ the freedom that God has given us. Amen? Let's look at verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. I think that's pretty clear. For whatever reason, though, I've probably read this scripture a hundred times in, in not had that jump out for me. You're severed from Christ, you who be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. See, the world would say, especially those here in Marin, when you confront them with the gospel, when you, you talk to them and try to get them to see their depravity, they would say, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I do good things. I give to charity. I even started a nonprofit. I travel to Africa and work in orphanages. And, well, I'm a good person. Why would I go to hell? Why wouldn't God want me? 
if he exists. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. That's going to become my response to that. We often turn that and, 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 and think about the fact that we aren't saved by works, which is true. But I think this cultural, this cultural line of thought and reasoning wants to find a way to live by what they think is the law where they have outlined as their own morality. See, really, that's part of what the law is, is establishing that plumb line for morality. The law in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was meant to show us, Paul says, to be a tutor for us, to show that we need a Savior, that we can't live by the law, that there's no way, no man can fulfill the law on their own, that we fall short every time. And yet we live amongst people who would want to say, I, I do good works. I, I'm not a bad person. I drive the speed limit. Okay, maybe not. But Paul's word to them and to even us is that you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. There is no way into heaven if you seek to live by the law and think that will save you. None come to the Father but by me, Jesus Christ. Verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 6, For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is indwelt in our lives. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the living God. We are then to say, what does it look to exercise our freedom? That is it. To walk in faith, to love. I think there are extreme examples, extreme groups who would, Take the idea of standing firm. Taking the take the idea for of fighting for what we believe in, or fighting for our faith, or fighting for what is right, and and they make it a fight. They make it an attack on evil. They make it an outward demonstration, and they try to shame people into repentance. But the word here, as far as exercising our faith, the word here, as far as walking in the freedom that we've been called to walk in, is to walk in the Spirit, to be. Uh, in tune with Jesus Christ to walk and exercise what? Love. If there's ever been a, a, a moment in time for us to get this right, it is now. If there's ever been a moment in time for us to have opportunities to share a differing opinion, to live a different life, but yet do so in a way that exemplifies who God is and what God wants to do and to redefine, to claim back, to take back, to redeem those words that have been 
taken from us and, and thrown away because of the definition of this world. The time is now. The time is now to have those conversations, to live in such a way that we can love others and demonstrate true freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage, freedom from captivity. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I used to work, I still do once in a while, but working with the youth, you, you often hear, and even I'm sure among new believers, that there, a pervasive question of, well, I don't know what I'm called to. I don't know what my calling is. And granted, they, there is nuance here, but I would be willing to say and stand firm on that you can start with this particular calling to all Christians for you are called to freedom. See again, we being free ought not to choose to go back into that cell from which we came from. Ought not to choose to go back to that sin, to that addiction, to that lifestyle, to that way of thinking that God has redeemed us, that through Jesus Christ he has redeemed us from. But we know that we are a new man, a new creature. And so the first call of a Christian life, or at least a primary call of a Christian life, is for what then? Freedom. To walk in the freedom that we've been given. To no, no longer be enslaved to sin. To no, no longer be a prisoner of the flesh. but to live in righteousness through faith, serving, loving one another. The greatest commandment being to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, spirit, and to love others as ourselves. So what's the problem with sin? The problem with sin is that when you are in sin before you profess Christ, you are enslaved, you are captive to the prince of this world. You are captive to sin, to the law of sin and death. See, the enemy, somebody said this to me a week or two ago, it might have been one of you or somebody else, but it was said to me that the enemy's only tool is deception. I I don't know if it's the only one, but I definitely say it's the primary one. See, the enemy would try to tell people who are non-believing, but who think they are okay, that's the deception right there, is that they can get to heaven or that they can get to the next life on their own, on their own merit, on their own goodness, on their own good works, on their own lack of evil, if you will, that they follow the law, that they are good people, that they don't drive fast, that they stop at every stop sign, and they uh, have never stolen. 
I mean, the, the, the deception is so prevalent. You can't go around the corner without seeing an example. You can't meet a non-believer without seeing deception written all over their face and in their hearts. That's the darkness. That's the ugly side of sin's ugly to begin with. But See, that deception would come. The enemy would use it to redefine what freedom is. Our culture in our day and age, I think the easiest way to define freedom is the freedom to choose. But the freedom to choose is not freedom. Choice is a luxury, not a right to begin with. The ability to choose is not freedom. It's the topping. More so, they define, our culture defines freedom as the, as the freedom or the ability to determine. And then they take that a step farther and they, they say that it's the ability or the, the space to self-determine. I can live this way because. I can do this because. Five hundred years ago, four hundred years ago, Descartes got the world on this line of thinking. I, I think, or I believe, therefore I am. It's been a long time since my philosophy classes, but it's interesting to me that he he thought of philosophy, his his vocation of philosophy, as a call by God. Though I very much doubt that, to be honest. What happened was he fundamentally change the direction of philosophy from starting from a place where there is a God who exists and what is man's relationship to him to a place where philosophy begins with man exists. There might be a God, but everything revolves around how and in what relationship it is to me. And that is very much still the philosophy, still the underlying current of this world. I think, therefore I am. It's self-centered, it's selfish, it's narrow thinking, it's egocentric. It's just about everything that God says we aren't to be. Galatians 3, 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. I, I don't have it for uh, display, but the NIV says, interprets the same verse this way. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, we talk a lot about equality, another word that ought to be redefined, redeemed by us. But we talk a lot about equality. If we, if we think about equality, the fact is this, that we all start from a place where we are dying and already dead and going to hell. Let's start there. It doesn't matter what you call your orientation. It doesn't matter what you call your status, your marital status, your relationship status. It doesn't matter what you call 
your goodness before the eyes of the law. It doesn't matter what you do before for charity or for others. In the eyes of the law, when you were born, you're as good as dead. See, that doesn't scare us here, does it? Because we are redeemed, because we get the fact that Jesus Christ came for us. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That law that was initially given to the people of Israel was that plumb line to show them that their need for God. And the history of that people, the history of the Jewish nation was one in which that when they were living rightly before God, they prospered. And when they rebelled, they fell. And when they forsook God, when they started violating the, the law of the covenant, when they started taking wives from other nations, when they started serving and, and erecting and worshiping other idols, they were brought into captivity. We know that as we come on scene in the book of Esther that we've been studying, that's very much the case that they've been in exile for uh, some hundred, hundred and twenty plus years or so. Because of the rebellion. And yet the book of Esther, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah and others were written to affirm that God had not left them, that God had not forsaken them, that God still had a purpose. He still had every intent to fulfilling his covenant with them. That the only reason they were in captivity was because of the fruit of their own rebellion and sin. Jesus comes on scene 490 years later from Esther and says, I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the one that of your history tells over and over and over again. I am the one who will bring you that freedom in finality that you no longer have to return to the yoke of bondage. You no longer have to return to the yoke of slavery. Jesus said, I am the one. We know in Romans all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We want to talk about equality. Let's start there. So what is freedom then? The word comes from the Greek word in the New Testament, eleutheria. There's another word uh, that's basically the same root. It starts with an idea of political free freedom, that there are in that society, that day and age, remember we need to interpret it from, from ground level, from what the audience would have heard and received from this letter from Paul. And so it would have spoken of a free man versus a slave, a political and cultural designation, if you will. One had the right to vote, one had the right to own land, one had the right to uh, be equally treated under the law of the day. The other had no rights, could not vote, could not own land, could expect nothing under the Roman law. Free man or slave. So 
freedom, being free, liberty. It insinuates a, a prior state of captivity, a prior state of bondage or enslavement, and the release thereof. We, being believers, know that we were enslaved and in, in, in captivity to sin, and that by accepting the work of Jesus Christ, we were made free. I would describe, and there's many ways to do it, but I would break down biblical freedom as these three things. Freedom from, freedom in, and freedom to. We'll talk about these. Freedom from, freedom in, and freedom to. Freedom from. We've talked about this already. We know that we have freedom from the law of sin and death. That we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are free. We need to make sure we get that, not just in our head, but in our day-to-day walk, that we no longer have to be under the control of the things that previously bound us, ways of thinking, addictions, sin patterns, even identity issues different from what God has called us to be. We read Galatians 3.22, Acts chapter 13 Verse 38 and 39. Acts chapter 13, 38, 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, that man being Jesus Christ. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Freedom from. Freedom in. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me, Paul's saying, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Again, the NIV, I don't have it up there, but another way to read that is, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, Paul says. I have the right to... Do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Because we are free from the law of sin and death, we are free to live in that liberty. To walk. David describes it as as a wide path. He describes it as, I can walk in a wide path because of the freedom that you've given me. So we have freedom in also living in the spirit of Jesus Christ in, in, in walking by faith. Freedom in loving and serving others, as we read earlier. See, it's difficult for us to love and serve others with a true heart when we're enslaved to sin because when we're enslaved to sin our perspective our starting point is one of selfishness is is egocentric and even again those who would say i'm a good person i give to others they are doing it for their own self-gratification while we have a benefit in feeling good about what we do we know that we do it for the glory and purpose of god when we serve and when we love others 
And that's a part of our freedom in Christ. Freedom two. I love this. Ephesians 3, 12. In whom, Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 1 Peter 2.16 Live as people who are free. Do we understand that? What does that say? Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Living as what? Servants of God. So we have freedom to be servants, freedom to live as God has called us to live. Remember, sin is missing our intended purpose. Sin is missing the mark. We can't hit the mark when we are enslaved. We can't hit the mark without the freedom that God has given us. It's kind of a circular thing, but it, it, I encourage you to still dwell on it. We can't live to our purpose in Christ without the freedom that we've been given. So we have freedom to approach the throne of God because our sin has been washed away. We have freedom to enter into the grace and the type of life that God has called us to. We have freedom to live in the fullness that God intended us to. Amen? One other quick way to look at biblical freedom is that's the liberty to do or to omit things that have no relationship to salvation. See, when we become believers, when our life becomes Christ-centered, when we are uh, realizing that when we are focused on the purpose of the building of God's kingdom, things that don't pertain to salvation become very, very unimportant. And if they aren't unimportant, my hope is that they will be very soon for you as the Holy Spirit works and refines your life. One definition also, or another way that Paul uses it not for us, but to describe others is a sort of fancied liberty. That's kind of what we're talking about from the world's perspective. A license or the liberty to do as one pleases. But we are to embrace this third piece, true liberty. True liberty is living as we should, not as we please. Living as God has called us to, not by our own whim, not by our own self-interest. We know that the heart is desperate and, and, and or desperately wicked, evil and desperately wicked. When people say, oh, just follow your heart, I don't want to ever hear that in this church. <laughs> it's bad advice. It's bad counsel to receive or to give. But we have been given freedom through Jesus Christ to live as we should. Not as we please. But in so doing, we find wells and springs of joy evermore.
Let's wrap things up with John. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting in verse 34 through 38. Jesus is dialoguing with the Pharisees. They pose a question to him. How does it say that you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. I play on words here. So if the son, capital Jesus, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, talking again to the Pharisees, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your earthly father. See, that's the crux of it, is that we, or when we are unbelieving, or those that we know who are unbelievers, all they know is earthly knowledge. All they know is what those around them have passed on to them. The life and word of Jesus Christ was given to us directly from God the Father above. And he uses the analogy that you know a slave, a slave, a slave can come and go in the sense that they they'd be sold off or given away or traded or bartered. There, there's no freedom. There's no rights to the household. But a son in the father's house can live there forever. And then he goes on to then identify himself, the son, as a son who sets you free. You are free indeed. Never to return to bondage. Never to return to that previous status. Never to return to a place where you had no rights, had no say, had no true property. Remember, all things, all things are going to go away in this life. All things are going to burn. But as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance that is stored up for us, that is preserved for us by Jesus Christ himself. In heaven, where neither moth or any other thing can corrupt. That's our perspective. That's our freedom. Let's go to Psalm. 118, 1 through 7. We'll end here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Why don't you respond to me with the, his steadfast love? So verse 2, let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, this is us. Let those who fear the Lord say. David says, out of my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me. And what? Set me free. 
The Lord is on my side. This is for all of us who have been disturbed by recent events. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? <laughs> what can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. As my helper, I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every person in this room who has made that choice to submit themselves to you in order to realize true freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from bondage, freedom to the things you have, freedom to the purpose and call you have on their life, freedom to true love and service to others. Father, we want to walk in that. We want to embrace it. We want to proclaim it. We want to live it out with our lives every day. So Jesus, help us not to return to that yoke of slavery, that yoke of bondage. Help us not to return to that old life, the old ways, the old sins, the old patterns, the old desires of our evil hearts. But God, help us to be those messengers who bring that word, that declaration of freedom to others. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him.